Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 653. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to discuss... Um, Brene Brown has this series, I guess it would be a mini series on HBO Max based off of a new book she has called Atlas of the Heart. Isn't that right? Uh-huh. And we're going to talk about a few of the different emotions that she talks about in this book. And then we're just going to see where it takes us. Actually, we're talking about the book Bittersweet by Susan Cain. Oh. Right? But we are going to talk about... <clears throat> you, you are not wrong, Todd. We are going to talk about Atlas of the Heart because the fourth episode... Um, Brene talks about bittersweet and, and how it relates to nostalgia and uh, irony and sarcasm and self-righteousness. But we're going to, because I just finished Susan Cain's book, um, we're going to kind of combine the two, mm-hmm. two things that are wonderful, Brene Brown's HBO special and this book. Um, a few other things. Um, bu- 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 um, quick takes. One is this is... Um, not great news, but felt the need to share it anyways. Uh, Cleveland Browns, an NFL team, gave um, oh, what's his first name? His last name is Watson. He's a quarterback excuse, accused of a bunch of sexual misconducts. Got the most guaranteed money in NFL history, two hundred and thirty million, okay. despite the quarterback being accused of sexual misconduct by twenty-four different women. Mm-hmm. Where it stands, Watson won't face criminal charges after the tenth and final complaint was rejected Thursday by a grand jury, but twenty-two civil suits and an NFL investigation remain open. Brown's uh, GM Andrew Barry said it took a five-month odyssey of due diligence to reach this point. Owners. Jimmy and D. Haslam said they trust the extensive amount of time we spent researching him. Notably, that didn't include speaking with any of Watson's accusers, something Barry says they were advised against for doing legal reasons. I don't, I don't understand why you called this good. It's not good. Oh, you started by saying this is good. No. If I did, I misspoke. Yeah. I was like, I'm waiting for the good part. No. I have yeah. some other good news that uh, that is not part of this. Okay. So let's move to something good. Well, okay, before oh, we move on, I just want to yeah. just shine a light on how money talks. Mm-hmm. And I don't pretend to know anything, any facts other than 24 different women accuse this man of sexual misconduct, and he just got a contract for $230 million. Yeah. Um, Welcome to our world. Yeah. Um, the other, the good news is, uh, ninety-one thousand people watched Barcelona beat Real Madrid five to two at the Camp Nou on Wednesday to advance to the Women's Championship League semifinals. Why it matters? This set a world record for attendance at a women's soccer match, awesome, surpassing ninety thousand fans who attended the nineteen ninety-nine World Cup final between U.S. and China, also known as the Brandy Chastain game. Oh, remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She hit the goal and took off her shirt, yep, and I she had her Nike sports bra. Yeah, and yeah, I'm I sure think- an image that's kind of ingrained in our brains. I'm sure Nike loved that. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of like when Nike loved it. When Remember when Tiger was chipping off the green and the ball just slowly, it like was almost still. This was at the Masters. This is years ago. Mm-hmm. And it took like at least a second for the ball to actually drop into the cup. Mm-hmm. And there was a very... Um, a Nike logo. That Nike logo that was just mm-hmm. locked in. Mm-hmm. So marketing dollars. Uh, but first, the Zen parenting moment. Mm-hmm. You call it yeah, but. 
Yeah, but. Um, but first you start out with a Zen proverb. proverb. A scholar asked a Zen master for advice, but because he had his opinions and knowledge, he interrupted the master repeatedly with his own stories. The master suggested, suggested they have tea. The master poured a cup and it was filled. He kept pouring until it overflowed onto the table. The scholar cried, stop, this cup is full already. Can't you see? And the Zen master said, exactly. You are this cup so full of ideas that nothing more will fit. Mm -hmm. Why? And then you go on to give four paragraphs about why you decided to spend some time on the yeah buts and full cups. Anything you want to share about that? Well, just the Zen proverb teaches us a lot without me even adding my you know, two cents about it. Um, but basically the gist is, is we often think we already know all of the answers even when we're asking questions. And why this can be a challenge is, number one, we miss out on the opportunity to hear different ideas, which is, you know, difficult and, and not great when we're trying to grow and learn. But I think it also disconnects us from the people we're talking to, because if somebody asks you something, you know, and then you are sharing and you are taking a moment to really consider and they're already ready to come back with why what you're saying isn't relevant to them, um, that that makes for difficult conversations. And mm. we've all had conversations with people like that who are like, oh, here's my story. And we start to share maybe feedback if they asked for it. And again, that's a pretty important component. Did they ask for it? Yep. Um, but if they did, if they're like, oh, I'm having this problem. And then we start to share, well, here's what I'm seeing or here's what I'm hearing. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, I tried that and that's not going to work with my kid. Or yeah, but, you know, that would never work for me. It only works for you. It, it just is a, it's a... Um, it kills the conversation and it also keeps us stuck in this place where we already think we have all the information mm -hmm. and it, this is a work in progress for all of us. And, and I think our kids can feel this way sometimes where they like already have all the answers. And I think instead of forcing them to understand this proverb, if we can practice it with them, meaning when they are telling us something, even if it's something we already know, um, or we already believe we know, to practice listening and saying, oh, that's really interesting. I've heard that before, but not in the way you shared it. Or, you know, just not talking and saying, oh, that's interesting. We don't have to tell our kids we already know everything because <laughs> we don't. Um, I think the, So you speak for yourself. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But the ability to practice, like sometimes you and I, you know, we live such parallel. Um, I mean, obviously our lives overlap in every way, shape and form. But sometimes we're getting, we're reading the same articles. We're watching the same shows. And we come to each other and we're like, hey, did you hear this? And usually... If I'm bringing it up to you, you've probably already heard about it, but your willingness to just let me say mm -hmm. and then say, yeah, and I read the article too, and here's what I got, rather than, no, no, I already heard that. Yeah, yeah but I already heard that. Because then we're just basically trying to demonstrate to everyone why we're so smart. Not much listening going no. on. No. Um, so nice job on that, sweetie. Oh, and I love the Zen Proverbs too. Yeah, they're helpful. Um, I do, before we get into the guts of the show... I want to invite all of our listeners to connect with Kathy and I. We do these things called Zen Talks twice a month, um, and it's community parents supporting each other. We support you. You guys all support each other. And um, the last two Zen Talks we did, la we just did one last week, and it was about the summertime blues, and as well as a pretty big piece on reluctant partners. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're like on the self help 
train and your partner's not. And then the one before that, we talked about grudges, narcissistic moms, and hyperdrive, even mm-hmm. though I don't know, remember what hyperdrive is all about. Mm-hmm. I assume it's an abundance of activity and not slowing down, but mm-hmm. I don't remember. So if you're interested, uh, the first month is free. It's 25 bucks a month. Enter the coupon code FRIEND, and we would love to see you at our next Zen Talk. Um, and then you have a Mother's Day thing coming up on May 5th. Yeah, May 6th, I think, Todd. I think it's a Friday. Check okay. my date just to make sure. But May 6th uh, at noon Central Time. Um, yep, May 6th. You're right. Yeah, we're, it's just kind of a virtual talk. It's from noon until 1.30. Um, and anybody can join. It's free. It's virtual. Um, and really, it's just an opportunity to talk about how to make our Mother's Day more zen and just kind of a gift to ourselves of even having this conversation. I I, I know there'll be a lot of people there, so um, I know Q&A can be challenging, but Todd is not only going to be a part of the discussion, but he's going to kind of manage people's questions and answers in, in chat. And so I think it'll have kind of a nice flow. We do this all the time with Team Zen, so we're kind of skilled at um, managing these. And Todd does this with men living all the time too. So just join. And if you just want to listen, you yeah. can listen. Like you don't have to bring questions. But um, again, it's Mother's Day. It's probably in the show notes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sure. It most certainly is. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you've been reading this book by Susan Cain. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't not play Big Head Todd and the Monsters. So anybody that's what? Our age. In their 30s or less have no idea what the song is. Or 50s or more. Or no, not 50s or more. Yeah, it's definitely a sweet spot of our generation, right? It's bittersweet, sweetie. It is. More, more sweet. sweet than bitter. But it's also more bitter, bitter than, than sweet. sweet. Yes. Those lyrics don't make any sense. They don't. No, no. But yeah, this is one of those songs that just, I think of my college experience. Well, how many times do we go see these guys in concert? Do you know what I mean? I, it was like, yeah, they were because they were never like big, big to the point where you couldn't have access to them right yeah so they played They're a college band they a lot of the festivals in chicago mm-hmm. and then also when we were at drake they played there and they were often kind of with they're kind of in the, the world of big head todd the samples uh, maybe blues traveler they they hit it a little bigger but it was like this whole world of mu- musicians that yeah. kind of seemed to be around each other yeah and they're still playing big head todd yeah well, it's i think so I feel like I want to just wait for the chorus. He has to do this a few more times. A lot of, what is he saying, la-ha? Yeah, just making sounds. What's this song about? Bittersweet. Okay, very good. That's what I thought you'd say. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Before we get into it, I just need to say two things that made us laugh over the last week, sweetie. Okay. What, and you have to remind over the me. last week, we laugh every day. You said these words. <laughs> and I don't remember. I don't even know what you're going to say. I don't say. remember in what context, okay. but you said the toothpaste get together. <laughs> what was that? What was the toothpaste get together? I wrote it down so we wouldn't forget to talk about it on the show. <laughs> talking about <laughs> we need to brush our teeth at the same time and you called it a toothpaste get together <laughs> i couldn't remember what brush your i couldn't remember the sentence brush our teeth and i don't know why we needed to brush our teeth <laughs> there's so many things i don't know about what did i call it a toothpaste get-together? it's the toothpaste get together <laughs> and then minutes later you said this okay. you like you went two for two that night okay. that's all i gotta say you said 
you know, when you bring your feet around you, around with you all day. <laughs> you know how when you bring your feet around with you all day. In what context were you using that phrase? I think I meant my feet were tired. So when our feet are tired, this is what we say, everybody. You know how when you bring your feet around with you all day? All right. Sweetie, those are two gems. Oh, my God. The toothpaste get-together, I remember just because I could not come up with the words. Sometimes when I'm just so tired, I just, like, all day. This is, like, the third time we've podcasted today, by the way. I did an interview this morning, then we did another. Like, I talk for a living, right? And I have to, like, be wise and thoughtful about how I say things because you want to make sure it translates and that you're asking the right questions. And so, like, I have to be so hyper-conscious. And then I think at nighttime... You, you just, like, you like, I don't have words. Yeah, you like used it all. I've used it. And all like, of your ability to be a smart verbal person goes but, out the window. Well, and I will say this like, not to get too deep about just stupid things I've said, but I have told you and I've told people who listen all the time I see things in pictures, right? That's how I communicate, is I see a picture and then I translate it. So you can understand why the toothpaste get together, yeah. get together. I'm seeing us together with toothpaste. <laughs> Okay, enough. Okay, but all right. I, I'm just. I'm going to bring my feet around with me all day today. <laughs> I, I'm going to say. Too. Um, bittersweet. Okay, so what an enjoyable experience reading this book by Susan Cain. Uh, it came out a couple. I think it came out a week or two ago, and I I posted this on Instagram. But I right before spring break, I really didn't have a book to read, and I was kind of going crazy. I kind of I go through these droughts, like these dry spells, and I know everybody's gonna be like, "There's so many books," and I I know that, but I don't read fiction. I only read nonfiction, and it's very specific, meaning I don't want any nonfiction book. It's about something that really speaks to me, and so right before spring break, I'm like, "Geez, I just have no books. Like this is this is difficult." And then all of a sudden. Like right after spring break, four books showed up. Actually five, but the one is an older book, so I didn't think anybody would care, but I, I got it. And I just have just had such a wealth of reading. And I, I started with um, Susan Cain's book, um, Bittersweet. One down, four to go. Yeah, oh, it's so great. Like there, And I got a new lamp for my bed, and so now I can see because I was like straining to read even with my readers on, and I got a new lamp. It's just, it's all coming together, Todd. Isn't it, though? I think it's coming together because we continue to have the toothpaste (laughs) (laughs) get-togethers. That's the difference. That's the X factor. Oh, my God. Because we usually have our toothpaste (laughs) get-togethers at night, which is when you're reading these books. Oh, gosh. That's just part of the routine is the toothpaste get-together. So... I'm going to call it that from now on, but I did. That was funny. Okay. So let me just say this about Bittersweet um, because I think it's obviously speaking to a lot of people because it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. No surprise. Susan Cain wrote the book Quiet, which is about understanding introverts so much better. And I know that Todd will agree when I say that, um, you know, I identify as a introvert um, and Todd I think identifies as an extrovert but sometimes when we say that I think this has changed because of Susan Cain's book but we used to not have an understanding of what that meant I am not a shy person Um, I am not someone who doesn't like to be around people I adore people which is part of the reason why I tend to be an introvert is because I want all interactions to go well and I want people to understand how much I care about them so if I don't have it then I need to like regroup by myself I need a alone time and it gives me a lot of peace whereas I think Todd you know like yesterday we were with my family all day we come home and he wants to go back out and be with people boom like that's how he calms down and I'm like you know my energy goes up 
by being extroverted, your energy goes yeah. depletes yeah. and your energy goes up when you're by yourself and my energy goes down when I'm by myself. Right. Typically. Exactly. Typically. Why does my nose always run when we're doing a show? <clears throat> it's the weird maybe it's because I was laughing. Sorry to share that. It's just it always happens. Too that was important information. <laughs> So glad. Well, I always at like this point in the podcast, I have to get a Kleenex. It's well, like becoming routine. And you just finished saying how when you are on these podcasts, you have to ask the important questions. <laughs> and that is one of them. So why does my nose? Always why run? does my nose run when I'm on the podcast? Okay. So anyway, this is this is the story is that her book, um, you know, Quiet, obviously, is it was on the New York Times bestseller list for like years and years and years. I think seven years, I heard someone say. Um, and so it's been around forever. And now she has this new book um, called Bittersweet. And I think it speaks to people in the same way that Quiet did, is it gives us language to understand um, who we are and how we tick and how a lot of the things that we've been feeling that we maybe felt that it was wrong or that there was something wrong with the way we were experiencing life, that it's actually exactly, and when I say how it's supposed to be, I don't mean everybody has to identify themselves as bittersweet, but what I will say is the reason I identify with this word along with many other words is because the thing I know about life is that I, and if you're not watching this, you can't see me do this, but I'm putting my hands together. What are you looking for? I was just, do you have a bittersweet in front of you or yeah. Alice of the Heart? I have bittersweet. Part of me wants you to like not go over that quiz. Isn't there some quiz in the beginning? Yes. But um, let me explain this part. Okay. And then I'm not going to do the quiz because that's a big part of the book. And I think people have to do that on yeah, their yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, just give I me an idea of what it is. Right. So <sighs> this is, this is the gist is that, um, I believe, or, and I have experienced, that love and grief live so close to each other, which is why I love to talk about grief, um, because I think people have a misunderstanding of what grief is. They live so close to each other that, for example, I will say that when I am having a really, really good time with my family or having a really like heightened experience, I tend to want to cry. Okay. And part of that is because I'm moved and I'm touched. And part of that is because I know it's fleeting. Okay. So some people may look at that and go, Oh, that's like a negative way to look at it. But on the flip side, when something is happening, that's sad or difficult or in crisis, I am very aware that not only are we going to get through it, but that we're going to learn something from it and that it's part of life. So I have this, like these two things that live really close to each other. And sometimes in either scenario, you can question yourself, right? But what, you know, what she writes about in this is that basically how, you know, the, just even the title, how sorrow and longing make us whole, how the ability to acknowledge that love and grief are intertwined in that way, that present moment awareness necessitates a sadness that it will never be again. Like, you know, when you think about part of the sadness about your child going off to college is that, you know, the things that Todd and I would say to each other is, yes, Jaycee's going to come home. Like, she's already been home three or four times since she went to college, but she will never be home in the same way she was home. So can I tell a quick story about sure. that? Mm -hmm. So when we did the initial drop-off for our, at the time, 18-year-old daughter, as she, we dropped her off at her college campus, it was just, a, I was, it was... We were all a mess. We are a mess. It was, a, it, was a, it was really amazing and sad and devastating and I was a mess I was crying I was doing an ugly cry and then we just <clears throat> saw her last Friday mm -hmm. and I didn't think about it like 
See ya. <laughs> like, it is so weird how we as human beings adjust. I know. Because, I, like, I think of um, my sister and brother-in-law are a little bit further along the line mm-hmm. in regards to um, their parenting. Their kids are a little bit older. And I'm always like, God, is back when my kids were still under the same roof, I'd be like, don't you just miss your kids all the time? And I would always, like, project my ideas of that but us human beings we adjust to everything Mm -hmm. and they're like no they're out doing their own thing and when they come back we'll be with them but they're out doing their own thing and now i'm kind of getting a taste of that we just saw jc on friday and i'm like see ya well and the the goodbye was so different it is and and what i think that's happening and this is what what bittersweet is about is recognizing the passage of time and yes. there is something about these milestones. Yes. Like, why are we sad on the day our kids graduate from eighth grade, fifth grade, kindergarten, high school, college? You know, it's so momentous. There's all this ritual around it. And the next day we're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about you have to take time to, or you don't have to take time. Sometimes time is just, it's just forced in your face where you're like, this is a moment. And this is an acknowledgement of where we were, where we are, and what's next. And when our kids get older, not only does it, do we miss them and are we sad about that our parenting journey is shifting because it's definitely not going away. We're just parenting in a different way. But we're also noticing our age and our mortality. Now, the interesting thing that uh, Susan Cain talks about in the book later in the book is she talks about how people who are older um, have a much better grip on, or that's not the right word. It's not grip. They, they have more joy. They have more connection to what's most important. They have more feelings of, of love and empathy and compassion because they understand mortality. They have the benefit of experience that us younger folks don't. And they and but and some people will say, well, that's because of their age. But it's also true with someone who has been diagnosed with maybe cancer or something that's like or an autoimmune disorder where they now realize that all the other stuff right. was not that big of a deal. And that all of a sudden, so you understand how these two things fit together, how something so tragic um, also has all these components, when, and we call it tragic, you know, aging or being diagnosed with something that is surprising or challenging. And then, of course, it, it, it's, it's full of grief, but how then we understand love better. You know, it's like this, but we don't want to go through life creating negative scenarios to understand it, nor do I think we need to, because I think we're confronted by bittersweet things all the time. Well, and let me just switch it to a positive experience. I'm not a grandparent. I will probably be someday. And when I think of grandparents, like I think of my mom when my oldest was born, like she was happy and emotional and sad. And it's because, like, there's so many things built into that experience. I'm guessing. I haven't experienced it. But one is, like, the circle of life stuff. The other is, oh, my God, my baby's having a baby? How's that possible? And then the other is, wow, I'm a grandparent. That must mean I'm older. I'm getting closer to being dead. Like, there's so many layers layers to it. In the same way when we dropped off JC is I thought of the first 18 years Mm -hmm. of her being underneath this roof. And now all of a sudden she's in some other roof in Michigan. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so messed up. Right. And then we well, just kind of... It, it's not messed up. It's exactly how it's supposed to be with... I know you're trying yeah. to display your emotion around yeah. it, but it's actually exactly how it's supposed to be. And that even is bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, bittersweet is just the words, the two words is something that is difficult and provokes a lot of emotion, uh, mostly sadness. And and also the fact that it's beautiful and that it, it is what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. And 
Susan Cain in the book talks a lot about the words longing and yearning. Mm -hmm. And really what we experience in those times is a feeling or connection to home. And this is where it can get, she does a great job expressing this. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to articulate it the way she does, but we all yearn for home. What, and what does that mean? When I say that, Todd, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I guess pulling back a little bit, home means safety, security, comfort, um, memories. Um, yeah. And when I hear it, because you're you're right, like mm-hmm. that is a layer. To me, it's the more, it's the bigger home. Mm-hmm. It's the sense of where we've come from, what we know to be true, um, our spiritual sense, our soul. <clears throat> I think that home, it's all those things you said, which is our earth plane. Mm-hmm. And then there's this sense that sometimes the reason that when I'm in crisis and I'm feeling a lot of pain the thing that pops up where I'm like, but I know it's going to be okay is because I have a deeper understanding of where we come from. Yeah. But not not me, Kathy, has a deeper understanding. Everybody does. Like, haven't you ever been in a situation where you're like, this is dire or this is devastating, but I'm okay right now. Like, whereas if we think about it in our head and we create the scenario, we're like, how would I ever survive that? Mm-hmm. But the truth is when you're in the moment with it, mm-hmm. you, you, there's this like clarity, mm-hmm. like sorrow and longing and yearning give us actually a clarity about life. Yeah, and I don't know if this makes sense, but, you know, crisis management, yeah. we, we all have a different ability to navigate our way through crisis. Some of us do it very well. Some of us don't do it well. Um, I think probably the majority of us would surprise how good we are in the midst of crisis yes. when you have no choice. Where most of us get tripped up, including me and probably you, is when we're worrying about potential disasters. Right. But when the disaster shows up, my mom checking into a hospital knowing that she's not going to come out, like I can be you, very narrowly focused yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Um, so anyways. You move through it. You actually often move through it with great clarity. Mm-hmm. Like some people will say, and I'll speak for myself, like we'll forget. Um, we'll be like, I don't know how I did that. Or I don't know what I was thinking or, or I don't remember it. It's all very cloudy. Yet in that moment, you were actually moving through it with almost a very awakened sense. Mm-hmm. Like you're very, it's heightened. Mm-hmm. It's your present, you're mindful. And, um, and that is there, there's some like, okay, I want to talk about bittersweet things that I experience and, you know, you can give your commentary on it or share bittersweet things you experience. I tend to, and I want to jump into music a little bit. Um, but before I jump into the music, I like to think about times that I've really struggled Hmm. and I like to go over it in my mind. And now when I say that statement, a lot of people are like, oh, you're ruminating or you're um, you're not letting go or you're not healing. And that's not it at all. I actually have very positive feelings when I think about it because there's a few reasons. Number one, I got through it. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, it brings up feelings of strength and, and mindfulness and remembrance of a time when I maybe was, you know, more than I thought I could be. Um, and that sometimes... Or like how I remember I used to think so differently and how it it healed some. So it's like I really like in my mind to go back to those times, which, you know, again, in Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, she talks about bittersweet and she talks about nostalgia. And this kind of borders a little bit on nostalgia, like we're at a different time that it's like I didn't know what I know today. And I like to think about how I've worked through that. Mm -hmm. But really what I'm thinking about is the pain. Yeah. 
So that's pretty bittersweet. That's like a very, I think some people, if I shared that, they'd be like, that's kind of dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but it brings me joy. Yeah. Well, it, like it inspires you knowing yeah. that you can get through it. Um, it gives us more a sense of resolve Yeah. that, yeah, this is, we can use it instead of it using us, we can use it. Um, it's funny, like I can't think of any really good examples in this moment about times when I struggled, like for some reason I was a landlord for too many years and I look back, like, I don't want to think about that. I know. Like, like, but not true. I'm going to call you out on something. All right. Let's go through it. I'll get a thing in the mail that's Mr. Landlord or mm. something. And you'll be like, can I tell you how happy I am that I'm not a landlord? True. There's a bitter, you, you don't oh, want yeah. to talk I, about then. But, right. I have joy now that yes. I don't have to do that. Yes. Um, but I don't think of my worry state, which I lived in most of the time whenever thinking about my landlording business, it was draining, awful. And, you know, I, I'm sure I can gain some wisdom from that. Like I didn't like the the way I showed up in that vocation and I would probably do it differently now. So it's not like it was a useless experience, but at the same time, um, there's no romanticism from right. it. It's more like so glad that I don't have to deal with that crap anymore. Well, and you know, this is, and I'm going to say this <laughs> statement, and I don't mean it like it's going to come out, but you, you are romantic. You're lovely. So we have great romantic times. I'm not a romantic guy. But you're not a romantic not guy. Not at all. And I'm a True. very romantic person. Not necessarily in that I bring you flowers, but in the way I think. Yeah. I think flowery. I, th- I think bittersweet. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny. I just had my chart read, um, my astrological chart read last week. And that was one of the first things she said. She's like, wow, you're really romantic in your mm-hmm. thinking. I'm like, yeah, this is like everything is very, in, in a way, you know, this is, it's a little different, but I'll go here anyway. When I watch Euphoria, which is a really, just the, the, the language, just that it's called Euphoria. It's about the intense heightened experiences. So it's not the reality of the kids. It's the heightened experiences mm-hmm. that they're having on steroids. Yeah. Like it's like where they are, they're seeing it through a lens of it, that everything's amazing yeah. when really they're just having all sorts of crisis all yeah. the time. But the reason, part of the reason I, I struggle with the show, but I also love the imagery is I kind of think like that. Like when someone walks in the door, I see them in slow motion. Mm. I have a very like, you know, when I think about you, you and me and our history, I have a very romantic story mm-hmm. about it. I have a very romantic, I remember this, I remember that. And, and I think some people think that way and some people can be romantic, but that's not the way they go through life. Yeah, like I think of, you know, you talk about Euphoria, we're watching Severance right now. And the way it's shot is very artistic. I don't know what other word to use. Mm -hmm. And for me, I know that there's like, and I I use this term, hopefully with endearment, art nerds Mm -hmm. that can appreciate the way that it's shot and the lighting and all this meaning behind it. Whereas I feel like I am much more content based. Mm -hmm. Like just give me two people in a room having an an in-depth discussion. Mm -hmm. I don't need all the stuff around it to like it doesn't enhance my experience in the way it does some other people's well it kind of goes back to you know 11 years ago when we started this podcast and your our whole title was you're like a more practical and logical guy and i'm a more emotional and spiritual person and and although our show has changed a lot and i think we're basically there's a lot that we're on the same Mm -hmm. plane Mm -hmm. when we're talking about things but that is still you Mm -hmm. you are still a lot more practical Mm -hmm. you are a lot more logical in the way you see things you're very literal you know like sometimes i you know, say something with a lot of like, 
I'm going to use the word flowery language and you're like, okay, what? Yeah. Like, you just want to know what are we doing? When are yeah. we doing it? And why are we doing it? Yeah. The closest I can come to my own personal evolution is a per not, not an evolution, but I do find a little bit more sacredness in ceremonial things. Yeah, ritual. Whereas when you and I got married, I'm like, all right, we're getting married. I love you, but let's just be married. And it's not about the flowers and the church mm -hmm. and the symbolism of the words and the symbolism of the ring. Um, but as I get older, I do am, I am experiencing more meaning behind some of the things that I used to kind of make fun of. Well, you're funny because you probably know you do this, but if we're watching a show um, and there's like a big, deep moment and someone is like acknowledging something. Uh, so you, you do this all the time, but I'll just use this example. We were watching Jake Gyllenhaal talk about his um, his past roles. Mm -hmm. What is that called where they do that? It's like... Uh, it's a, a Vanity Fair thing. Yeah. They just break down their career yeah. about different characters that they played. So you got Jake Gyllenhaal sitting in a chair and he's going through all of these roles and then what it meant to him. And there's a scene from Brokeback Mountain and where Heath Ledger like breaks down. And while you watch it, you'll go, yeah, oh yeah. And you'll talk mm. to the screen. Mm. You, you will like, people will be having a breakdown and it's like you totally are relating to what That is feeling. my way of seeing the beauty in a moment. Okay. So I... Like and especially when men break down, I think I remember yeah, you the. You do it more when when there's a man showing vulnerabilities, probably mm -hmm. because I still judge I got a ways to go mm -hmm. in being able to do that. So I get inspired when I see Heath Ledger's character, who's all tough and he's got the jean jacket yeah. and the cowboy hat on, and he's like broken down. Yeah, I just so honor that, and it's because I'm inspired by it, and I think it's what human beings are supposed to be able to do. Um, so yeah, I, I do get moved more quickly when I see, you know, tough guys. That's why I love the rock. Like right. he's just a softie. Yeah. I love softies right. that present themselves as non-softies. Well, and then we do, and, and I agree with you. Um, and I think, let me say this two things. Number one, I think that you're seeing the truth in the moment, mm -hmm. even if it's actors. Yep. I think you're like, wow, this is honest. Mm -hmm. Like this is really what people are feeling. If whether or not they are showing us like Keith Ledger is in this moment is a, is a question. Yeah. But you know that there's truth to that. And I love The Rock too. And I love what you said. But isn't it unfortunate that it only feels safe if you look like The Rock? Mm -hmm. Dax Shepard talks about this all the time that be, because he knows he wants to talk about these deep things and be emotional and have that sensitive side, mm -hmm. he he feels that's why he lifts weights and drives dirt bikes and stuff because then it balances it out. Yeah. It's almost, it takes more courage for yeah. a person who is physically not the alpha Correct. to be soft and vulnerable mm -hmm. because, you know, I remember, I think we did a podcast one time about vocations and there was a male nurse mm -hmm. and he loves his job. Right. He absolutely adores his job. And he's like shredded. Right. Like it's almost like he has to, and I guess I honor this and at the same time see the game that has to be played, at least in this man's psyche, is the only way that I can be in this, what would typically be known as a physical, as a female um, vocation Traditionally that I got to be shredded. Right. That way you can't question my manhood. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess... You know, if we're scaling who has the most courage, it's the man who doesn't look physically imposing or has doesn't have the most amount of money or however it is that we measure manhood. Mm -hmm. um, 
if they don't have that and they're still willing to be vulnerable, be vulnerable. And it makes sense. Like, I, I like what you just said about how it's kind of a game because there is a truth about human behavior mm -hmm. and that there is a sense of being somewhat balanced in that if someone really, really wants to be emotional, they don't want to be overly vulnerable where people could take advantage of them. So they're like, so I'll work on my physical demeanor so I can, or I'll have my voice be louder. So it's not necessarily that we're criticizing that. Like, yeah. like I said, I don't have any criticism of the rock. It's just, it's interesting how in our society it feels more comfortable. Well, I'll tell you the last time I was like moved and it, you sent me that clip and I'm, maybe I'll play it. Maybe I won't of that Congressman yeah, from in Missouri. Missouri. Mm -hmm. Can you set that up? So basically it was a bill that uh, was they were trying to pass in the House in Missouri, um, which unfortunately I think it did, um, about, again, it's a trans uh, banning, you know, rights for trans kids. I think it was about sports and, you know, the fact that we're, that states are spending time focusing on making these kids feel even more, you know, like outside the norm and more disconnected. I can't believe that adults are doing that to kids, by mm -hmm. the way. I mean, let me just throw that in there. Um, it's unbelievable with all the things we have to do and worry about that there are adults that are willing to say, yeah, don't give these kids rights. Yeah. Like I, it, I, I, I honestly, Todd, like sometimes I'm like, I don't, I literally don't understand. Yeah. So this man um, in this uh, clip, that I, th I don't know if you're going to play it. Yeah, I'll play a minute of it. He basically is... He's speaking to another... He's speaking to another... He, he's also in the House, and he's basically speaking to a man who is choosing to vote for this bill, and this is his viewpoint on it. This is what you're focused on. This is the legislation you want to put forward. This is what consumes your time. I would have been afraid to tell you, too. I was afraid of people like you growing up, and I grew up in Hickory County, Missouri. I grew up in a school district that would vote tomorrow to put this in place. And for 18 years, I walked around with nice people like you who took me to ball games, who told me how smart I was. And he went to the ballot and voted for crap like this. And I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't wait to move to a part of our state that would reject this stuff in a minute. I couldn't wait. And thank God I made it. Thank God I made it out. And I think every day of the kids who are still there, who haven't made it out, who haven't escaped from this kind of bigotry, Gentlemen, I'm not afraid of you anymore because you're going to lose. You may win this today, but you're going to lose. There you go. And that I have heard so many um, brave, outspoken people who tend to say that last statement, mm -hmm. and I could not agree more. Yeah, I just, I watched it three times and I just got goosebumps, goosebumps again. I know. And I'm all for trans rights for, for sure. And that's part of my goosebumpiness and some of it is just this man is speaking truth to power doesn't care about the consequences i sometimes find myself being scared of these silly things to speak my version of truth to power and he's just modeling it so beautifully like he's just so in his heart and he's not thinking about what he's saying it's just coming out well and you know todd you're saying he's not caring about the consequences he's already had the consequences yeah. He grew up in a town where he was said who people were kind to him, but then they would vote for things that would 
make him that would take his dignity and say you aren't as you are not going to get the same rights we are Mm -hmm. yeah i'll take you to this ball game but i'm going to vote against you having your full dignity and so he's had the consequences so now he's at a place where he's like listen I'm just not going to be afraid of this anymore, yeah. and I'm going to stand up and speak. And um, and the the part of the story that um, before that clip is this man who is going to vote for it, um, vote for this bill. There's a story that he had told where his um, I think it was his niece or nephew was had come out, but was afraid to come out to him because the niece or nephew was worried about what he would think about them. And he's like, that's crazy. I'll love you no matter what, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I think that's wonderful. But the fact that he would be like, yes, I will support you as being a part of this LGBTQ community. But then I'm going to pass a bill yeah. that is, you know, that goes against, you know, the rights of some kids is it, it doesn't add up. Yeah, um, there's a misalignment. There's, there's a an misalignment. Inc- incongruity yeah. with thoughts, behaviors, statements, beliefs. Yeah. And what, what I hope to do is have an alignment of my words and my actions right. are moving in the same direction right. with this, whoever the senator guy is. He's saying one thing, but he's doing something different. Well, and if it's confusing to you, if you don't understand, um, you know, what it means to be transgender, if you don't understand, um, you know, facets of the LGBTQ community, sexuality, it, it, then educate yourself and talk to people and meet people. Yeah. Because if you just go off of other people's fears, then you're going to do the us and them thing. But if you talk to families, if you talk to children, if you talk to people about their lives, you will, there's nothing, I mean, it sounds so cliche, there's nothing to be afraid of. They are you. Mm. They want to live a life of dignity and they want to live a life of love and they want to live a life of connection and relationship. They, that's what, that's what you want. And that's what they want. Yeah. And they're in, and that they applies to all of us. It's not just LGBTQ. It's, we all want the same thing. And this is the blessing of, you know, I will talk about it's bittersweet to be a social worker Mm -hmm. because there are the majority of the experiences that you have as a clinician or a social worker are talking about people's challenges in darkness. So I am surrounded by a lot of challenging stories, issues that we have to confront, political ideology that's really difficult, legislation that, you know, I can't believe hasn't passed or is passing. Um, And that's very difficult and brings me a lot of sorrow. The joy part of it is that I get to know the, I get to know so many people. I get to see that interconnectedness that we all have. I get to experience that we all want the same thing and and I don't fear people. Mm-hmm. And so what a, that's a very bittersweet thing in itself. Like people say things like, why would anyone want to be in this line of work? Why would you want to look at this? And it's because that's reality. Yeah. Like I think no matter what job we do, a big part of being bittersweet is do you see the reality? Like the first story that Susan Cain tells is about a cellist who goes out and sits in a cemetery. Um, I think it's in uh, Syria. And, you know, and everybody's concerned about him because in, you know, he, there's still snipers and there's still, you know, but he's like in the middle of this darkness, I have to play, mm-hmm. you know, a little like the violinist on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And and he's not playing uplifting, you know, happy, happy birthday music. He's playing bittersweet music. Yeah. Of this is the truth of the moment. Mm. And I'm much more drawn to that yeah. as a reality. For some reason, I just thought of the scene in Titanic when those when the band keeps playing, even That's though... what I just said. I said the violinist on the Titanic. Oh, I thought... Um, sorry. I, I thought... <laughs> I thought you said, um, oh my God, 
went to the cemetery? No, no. I talked about the cellist. Yes. And then so, I said, he's just okay. like the violinist okay. on the Titanic. I, lo- I lost you. Yeah. I heard the, I was thinking about what scene that was from when you were talking yes, yes, about it. Yes, I understand. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> By the way, we're- Why it's so funny is because you're looking like right in my eyes. I know. So it was just, I so know- So just because I'm looking doesn't mean I'm listening. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> um, um, we're 43 minutes uh-huh. in. I'm guessing you have a ton of things that we haven't gotten to yet. Not necessarily. I think one thing that I wanted to talk about was music mm. um, because I think that our, is the word proclivity? What does that word mean? I want to learn how to use it. It's to proclive things. It's to, it's to be proclivative. <laughs> yeah. Don't you remember when you're in school and you're like, <laughs> the other teacher's like, get the dictionary if you don't know what a word means and you look up proclivity, it means to, <laughs> to proclive. <laughs> So will you look up that word? Because sure. I want to learn how to use it. I try and like bring in new words. Tendency to choose or do something regularly, an inclination or predisposition toward a particular thing, okay, so, which is basically what I said. So I think I was using it correctly when saying our proclivity, proclivity toward a certain kind of music. Yeah. Like I have like, a proclivity to being pro- proclive. Proclivid? Yeah. Proclivid. <laughs> um, so... Why I want to talk about this is that one thing that I, and I'll say this with shows and with music, is, okay, Todd said how, like at the beginning of this book, um, Bittersweet, I was telling him about the tests that I took, um, and everybody who gets the book, you can take the test and kind of see where you fall on this, like, bittersweet, you know, meter, and, um, and mine was pretty high. Uh, Is it like a one to 10 thing? Well, no, because you have to like, actually, it, it you give it like a one through a 10, but then you have to add it all up and divide it. It's like a whole algorithm, mm. um, which is why it's not like super simple. But I think if it was like five points something and above, then you have a tendency toward um, bittersweetness. And mine was like eight. Something. I got a feeling I'm going to be below five. Well, and then there's, th- there's three different levels. So. Yeah. But one of the things that's really high for me is I listen to sad music a lot. It, Susan Cain talks about Leonard Cohen and all this kind. Of, I don't really listen to that. I listen to sad pop songs. I listen to this just makes me laugh. But I do. I have a whole playlist of like hairband ballads. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I love I love regular pop music too. But I love sad music, and it's the same reason that, and I think a lot of people can relate to this. I love Law and Order. I love to watch, there's a bittersweetness in watching something really dark happen mm-hmm. and watching justice come in yeah. and solve it. Like there's a, and a lot of people say, oh, that's dark, that's heavy. That's my joy. Like I like that stuff. Yeah. It reminds me because in my my 80s, you, you loved everything, including pop hits, which are like kind of upbeat and all right. that. And you had your sure. your own version of Bittersweet too. And I was listening to Pink Floyd and the Doors, which is not really that uplifting right. of music. And it just felt, for me, I always felt like that's my access to feelings. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I, I, I either I chose not to or I was unwilling to feel joy through music. Mm. So instead, I decided to li- feel melancholy through music. Yeah. But even that melancholy made me feel alive. Um, you know, I can, I'm sure I can rip off 10 different Doors or Pink Floyd songs that are like just morbid and down and beat trodden and just low energy. And I loved every bit of it. I mean, um, one of my favorite albums is is uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by... That's the title, right? Which is kind of... He was just messing with his critics when he when the Pumpkins called their album that. But yeah, there's... For some reason... And there was a part in the 
um, the Brene Brown thing, they talked about the amount of times we listen to sad music yes. versus ha- like, can you? So that's actually a clip of Susan Cain. Oh, it is. During the Brene Brown yeah. Atlas of the Heart thing. And, and if Todd and I, we haven't quite said this straightforward. We both highly recommend this HBO series, Atlas of the Heart. It is so interesting. I have recommended it to so many people. And she uses um, movie clips and TV clips to demonstrate her points. And I looked at Todd. I'm like, this is what we do. Like, I was so, you know, I was like, this is the most, for us specifically, it it drives the point home. Sweetie, have you invited our middle daughter, Cameron, to watch it by any chance? She is not interested. But Skyler was interested and watched it and found it to be really interesting. And then I told JC to tell all of her friends. I've been zeroing in on, usually you ask, you invite somebody and then you let it go. You have not let it go with Cameron. You oh, really? A- you've asked her like literally four or five times. Really? And you never do that. Well, give me an example. Cause like. Cameron, you want to watch? It's all about movies. You got to watch it. It's a, there's a modern family clip. You've done that three or four different occasions. Have I really? Because it me- it's, it's so meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. It is. It and is. it is. Yeah. And for those of you like me that don't like to read books that much, this is easy. You get to watch TV and talk about it after you watch it with whomever you're with. It's really wonderful. And she breaks it up in such a way that it's only a little bit at a time, Mm -hmm. about 30 minutes each of them, maybe a little over. And she also, she lectures, she shows clips, she takes questions. So then she brings, so what your question to me was, so she had Susan Cain come in video form. It's just like a quick uh, clip. And she talks about how when you look at people's, you know, music in inventory, they tend to listen to happy songs or joy-filled songs a certain amount, and they listen to sad songs like double of that. Yeah, it's like 800 versus 150 or something like that. And that is kind of... So this is the thing is I don't think... When it comes to Bittersweet, the thing that I will say is, again, the reason I love Susan Cain is... And the reason I love Brene Brown and, you know, Glennon and a lot of other people in this world is that they give us new language to talk about something we already know, but we don't have the words yet to speak. Yeah. And I find that bittersweet kind of falls into that world of, and I'm not saying they're all synonymous, but if you consider yourself an empath, if you consider yourself highly sensitive, if you consider yourself somebody who um, like feels really easily, like, you know, and again, I know that some of these words are the same, but they're, we kind of all have our own language of how we view ourselves. And so bittersweet is to me kind of that understanding that you're looking at the real world. You are seeing what's really happening, which is often devastating and sad. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, you also know, you feel that there's something greater. You know that's kind of the yearning and the longing that she's talking about. And so the way that that information or that feeling rises in you is through the devastation sometimes. So it's like, you know... You know, I, I just kind of feel like it's just another, we always had the word bittersweet, but she uses the research and the examples and the stories and even some stories of her own life that I, she was telling a story about her mom who has dementia and it really hit me hard mm. because um, it made me cry because I could, I totally understood what she was talking about as far as like her mom now doesn't remember certain things yeah. about her childhood. And so a lot of things that they maybe were challenged by have been erased and how there's a bittersweetness there too, right? Yeah. You're kind of glad that you're not focusing on those challenges, but you're also like, wait a second, we can't access that anymore? Yeah. Um, it really was touching. So so I want to go back to music. Okay. So 
do you have a specific song hmm. that if you really want to feel hmm. that you go to? Um, it's funny. I tried to put, there's a song by the Smashing Pumpkins on the Adore album called For Martha. Mm-hmm. And it is Billy's ode to his mom who is dying of cancer. Mm. Really powerful. Um, and I played it the night my stepdad died on mm-hmm. the way to, my mom called me at two in the morning saying Rich died. And I was kind of in shock or I just felt numb. And I tried to put, I put that on hoping to just start bawling in the car by myself and nothing came out. Okay. I was really frustrated at myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Accusing myself as being this robot, blah, blah, blah. As you do. Um, having said that, there's so many songs. Like whenever I hear the song, Alleluia, especially by that one guy who died. Do you remember who? Leonard Cohen? No, it wasn't Leonard. It was a younger guy. He died probably 10 or 20, 10, 10 years ago. He's a younger guy who died way too early. Who had it? Because Alleluia has been... Done by everybody. Done by everybody. Mm-hmm. God, I got to look it up now. But that one you know, socks me in the heart. Which is, hallelujah, like what the song is about um, is the definition of bittersweet, right? It's the pain and, you know, the, the, the glory in the moment of the pain, like of the feeling of the intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he is, Leonard Cohen is Susan Cain's favorite um, musician. Oh, or, wow. Yeah. So she, he's, like, she uses his quote as an opening um, Jeff Buckley. Well, oh, Jeff Buckley. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that song and just the the key that it's in really yes. gets people. Yes. Yeah. It's the key. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's all of it, but yeah, it's... Um... And that's what the cellist was playing in the cemetery. Oh, really? Yeah. Is It's like there is, in the heat of this moment of pain, I am going to pay, play something beautiful but real. Right? This is how we're feeling. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift. The baffled king composing hallelujah. Yeah, that's just crushes me and so here's kind of the interesting thing is that me too like just the the way it we all know we don't have the words to describe it but the way the song feels mm-hmm. is that the note that it's in the way it climbs yeah. the way it goes mm-hmm. like you just you feel it and it brings tears to your eyes but sometimes there are songs that do that to us because of a memory mm-hmm. it's not sometimes it's it's built into the song and sometimes um it's attached to it's a memory. attached to a memory like there are, for me, there's so many, but the two that, that, that probably are the most heightened for me, um, there's a John Denver song called Annie's mm-hmm. Song. And the way, like, honestly, like, <laughs> like I could, like, you haven't even played it yet, but I really struggle with that song. Like, it reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me of my kids. Um, it has just, you know, just his voice. It just is really... Um, it makes me it makes me happy sad mm-hmm. you know bittersweet and we all have our versions of this song mm. I'm losing sweetie yeah I can't do it um 
And I don't. And sometimes, and here's the thing. When I'm alone, I listen to this stuff. And I cry because I like to. Right now, I have to be on a podcast, so I'm not going to... Keep it together. (laughs) Get it together, man. Um, I will um, shift gears for a second and say there's another song, and I've told you about this song before because it's so random, but it is the definition of of love to me. And it is this uh, Peter Cetera song that... God, I don't even know when it came out. Um, Let's see. I don't even remember, but it's called Do You Love Me? And um, not Will You Still Love Me by Chicago, but Do You Love Me by Peter Cetera. And the song, I listen to it all the time. It's like been on every podcast since like the 90s. And he tells a story in it of how much he loves his wife because this album that he put out was about his divorce. And the whole first section is about how he looks at her and how he just loves her and he just watches her. Mm-hmm. And then he there's like, you know, this discussion and, and there's also, then he starts to kind of ask the question, do you love me that way too? And then there's a bridge and then it gets into the next part where he basically says, do you love me enough to let me go so someone can love me that way? Mm. So it's like the, why it's a so moving is he loves her so much and he's saying to her, I love you enough to let you go, do you love Mm. me enough? Mm. Like, is there any bigger sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Because how many people stay together out of fear or because I'm with you, so we might as well, you know, it obviously rings more in my 90s before you and I were married um, of when you are, you want to be with someone, it, you can be, and I'm putting this in air quotes with a lot of people, but who do you really love and adore and and it's and if someone loves and adores you, that's great. But you want them to have that too. Yeah. You want to adore them back. And if you don't, um, is that fair to them? Right. So he just does such it like so. When I play that song, I always um, I don't know, you know, and I don't know if Peter Cetera got his due. Well, it's interesting because I started out with Hallelujah, which I don't even know what the words are to that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the content of the song. Mm-hmm. And then you like did the opposite with the Peter Cetera thing. It's all about the, I mean, I'm sure it's a beautiful song also, but the meaning of the words of the song is what is so meaningful to you in that song. Well, and he, and the way that he does it, like I said, there's a bridge um, you can put it on if you want. You're, we're not going to play the whole thing, but just so people can hear because it's a lot of piano. And there is a Brit where he's kind of singing. What's it called? Uh, Do You Love Me That Much? I think it's called Do You Love Me That Much? Um, where he's, it's a little quieter at the beginning. And then when, then at the end, it gets a little more powerful. Mm-hmm. Kind of like now we have to ways mm. you know what I mean <clears throat> but it's it is I don't know there was something that I could relate to as far as love there has to be reciprocity yeah you can't just hold people and it's even though this song is not about children it's the same way like I have to love you to let you for go. who you are yeah. and allow you to love me and you you can't force people and you shouldn't ask no, and there's a part of me, you know, we just found out that our daughter might end up going to Italy next year, yeah, two years. Yeah. The fact that she's going to be on a different continent, 
like part of me wants to keep her so close to me and not let her do anything. Right. But if I really want, if I really love this human being, I want her to do whatever the hell she wants to you do. You let her go. Yeah, let her go. And we let them go over and over. You know, this song is a very literal, like, I'm going to let you go and we're not going to be yeah, married anymore. Right. But there's a letting go over and over, even with like, you know, Todd's like, um, and I really didn't care about this, but I'm using it just as an example. You know, you're like, I no, I'm not going to do this day. I'm going to go play pickleball and be with other people. Like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, okay, goodbye. I love you. I want you to go be happy with our kids. It's go to go to go be with your friends. You know, go go do what makes you happy because the truth about love, the bittersweetness about love, is that I set you free. Yeah, and. This is, and you know, it's funny, I'm thinking back to, we played one of these Maya Angelou clips at one of our conferences, but she does this whole thing. Um, It was on one of Oprah's master classes, and she talks about that I love you is I set you free Mm -hmm. at all times, is love does not hold. Love is freedom. And I want, and, and so think about this, everybody, when you have a kid who's like, I don't want to play soccer anymore. And you're like, no, 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 I like the games and I love the parents and I want to be there. Love is not trying to hold on to something that was mm. or that you thought it was going to be. It is what does this person need right now? You know, and so this can get very micro and hugely macro. Yeah. You know, like you, um, and I think the reason I tear up or I listen to that song is it just reminds me. That's the kind of that's the only that's real love. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's like the, love in the most pure yes, form. Because it's very generous, non, non-selfish. Yes, it's very generous. So, um, so I mean, this book is long. There's a million different things, but I'm just going to tell everybody, go read it. And I'm also going to suggest, you know, you and I are going to suggest go watch Atlas of the Heart on HBO. HBO Max. HBO Max. Get a free, if you didn't already subscribe. Free trial. Because of Friends is there. Euphoria is there. What else is there? Sex in the City is there. We have it because there's so much we watch on yeah. there. Um, but I recommend it, my friends. Um, I recommend Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. His phone number is 630-956-1800. His website is avidco.net. So if you're redoing your kitchen or you're painting your house inside or outside, uh, he is your man. And then a quick plug for Men Living. It's a for the most part, a virtual space for men to connect authentically and vulnerably. I'm the executive director, and it's something I truly believe in. So if there's any guys out there, check us out at menliving.org. Uh, and sign up for the Mother's Day thing. And buy Kathy's book, Zen Parenting. Yes, buy Zen Parenting. Caring for ourselves and our children in an unpredictable world. It might be a good gift for either yourself, um, a friend who is a parent, um, or just some a mother that you love. Yeah, it's very compassionate, not judgmental. So it won't be a gift like, it won't be a gift like, hey, up your parenting. Yeah, it's more about supportive and loving. There you go. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.